Um, before I get into the message, I'd just like to uh, have kind of a moment of honoring our, our nation and kind of the tension that that, that brings um, a bit. And, and as I do that, oh, I hit, hit the wrong button there. Um, this is probably last year and this year, the first time I can remember where where even I was, I was having a couple chats this week talking about, I can't remember a time in my life where even I'm questioning for the first time doing something with the American flag almost feels like a political statement, right? Where you're like, am I allowed to dress up in red, white, and blue? It's like, like be misconstrued. It's such a, it's a weird thing, right? And um, then I was, I was watching, um, as you know, I'm going to give a sports example. And when I do that, you don't have to know anything about sports because we're in L.A., some of you are offended. Some of you are. Anyway, I'm going to talk about the European Championships happening right now. It's the biggest, it's the biggest sporting event happening on earth. So if you have another thing that you care more about, it's not as big a deal as this. But the point is, is that uh, last week England played Germany in, in like the quarterfinals or something, right? A Brit might care a little bit more than you about this. And, and as they're singing their national anthems, you've got the Brits belting out God Save the Queen, the Germans belting out their, their German anthem of some kind. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going like, first of all, I'm, 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 uh, I'm just kind of taken aback by, by the fact that the other thing that they did is during the national anthem, uh, uh, someone mentioned, I kind of watched the replay, but in the replay they were kind of mentioning on both teams were filled with immigrants. Like there were only what they would call like, you know, three, three players on the British team that were actually like truly whatever you would call British. Everyone else are, are, are sons of immigrants. And it was very similar on the German side. And then at the same time, they, they, they knelt right before kickoff, all together, like right before kickoff. And during the national anthems, though, the players all have their arms around each other and are belting out the national anthem. All that to say, I'm not making a political statement at all. I'm just reflecting on something. Those countries have some pretty dark history. Germany, England. And yet, both those nations have some kind of a, a comfort in coming together, unified, and belting out their national anthems amidst all the realities and awareness of their dark closets, their issues, their challenges, their past, their presence, and even their futures. And I just thought for a moment, I'm like, this is a good reminder for us. And we have plenty of dark closets in our past, and some of them are coming out in the present, and we're going to have more in the future. Uh, one of the things I, I've been, I was reading this week um, from a book called uh, Finite and Infinite Games ha said this about, about our nation. I just wanted to reflect on it for a moment. When the founding fathers of the United States declared independence from Great Britain, for example, they knew that such a radical act would require a statement of just cause. And this is their just cause statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, they wrote in the Declaration of Independence, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The vision they set forth was not simply one of a nation defined by borders, but of an ideal future state defined by principles of liberty and equality for all. In the midst of that, in 1776, we did not live in a nation that had equality and liberty for all. It was an ideal that was a vision of the future that was not being lived out in fullness in the present. 
And on July 4, 1776, the 56 men who signed on to that vision agreed to mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. This was how much it mattered to them. They were willing to give up their own finite lives and interests to carry forward the infinite idea and ideals of a new nation. Their sacrifice, in turn, inspired subsequent generations to embrace the same cause and devote their own blood, sweat, and tears to continue to advance it. In the midst of that, you've got a nation that's had to wrestle with all kinds of ugly things internally. Civil wars, slavery, and yet at the same time, standing up for, for just causes in the midst of World War II, and then ugly pieces of, of other movements, civil rights, Vietnam, the things of our banking system, and everything under the sun you could think of. We're aware of those things. At the same time, what is it that continues to be the standard that we dream about? And those are things I think we can at least bless. At the same time, this nation will pass away. And there's something profoundly beautiful, powerful, truthful about the sons and daughters of God that first and foremost put themselves in his kingdom that say, regardless of the kingdoms of this world, we bless them, we honor them, and we say everything in our lives, regardless of what happens in and through these kingdoms of the world, we serve a kingdom that will have no end. And so with that heart, I just ask you to maybe put your hand on your heart and bless our nation this morning with me. Father, we just say with all that we have, we are able to be present with absolute pride and conviction that, that we are Americans. That has nothing to do with where you were born, how you were raised. We're here in this moment, a nation that has always been about those who have come here for different purposes. But first and foremost, we say that we can be present with the pains, with the issues, with the darkness that still needs to be addressed. We honor the things that have been addressed in the past. And we speak to the light of the future, saying that Christians are going to be people of hope. We will be people of hope. And we will declare hope on this nation that we love, despite its issues. And we will celebrate today being present in that reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I wanted to start with a story. Uh, this week, we've been in a prophetic series. And um, before I get into kind of giving you some context to that, uh, <clears throat> many of you that follow me on, I don't know, social media of some kind know that I stood in some lines this week for a passport. We're trying to go on our 15-year anniversary some point this week. And uh, we need a passport for our baby that we're taking with us. Not all five kids, just the baby. That's how you do anniversary trips. And, and so, so I'm waiting in line because the passport hasn't come. And I need to get a passport. Expedi it's already expedited. We did everything we were supposed to do. We, we went early. We actually went to a little mountain town like Running Springs to make sure that we got everything in in time, that it would have to come in time. And we wouldn't have to be stressed out like we were this week. And so we did this last-minute thing where you can go wait at the federal building, 1600 Wilshire Avenue. If anyone wants to know how to do that, I can give you all the details. All you have to do is wake up at about 3.30 in the morning, go get in line, and at 6 a.m. they cut off the line, and no one else gets in, and you just wait in line for about four more hours, and then they will give you an appointment at some point within 72 hours of your flight, and then you'll be able to get a passport that day at the appointment. That's all you have to do. 
So I was waiting in line, uh, and after about five hours, uh, I got up to the front, and I find out that because our passport has already been printed and is in transit and will arrive on Wednesday. Did I mention when my flight was? Wednesday morning? Yeah, okay. After all these weeks, they print the passport and send it, and it's going to get here on Wednesday. And my flight's on Wednesday. And, and then I, I go, um, and we, we, can't, we can't get the passport. If I would have done nothing, if I wouldn't have planned ahead, they said you could have gotten your passport that day. I usually take these things pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty good with stress. I'm pretty good with stress. I handle these things quite well. I'm good in traffic. I'm good with travel. I'm good with things that come up like this. And, and at the moment, I was like, oh, okay. And I, I kind of I like did one of these. I was kind of half happy that I didn't have to come back. And I'm like, well, maybe it'll be easy to change the flight. Like, and that won't be expensive. Did I mention how good a deal I got on the flight? I don't think I mentioned that. I got a really good deal on this flight, which is really the reason why we're going on this trip to Italy. And did I mention it was Italy? Yeah, it's, it's, we're going to Italy. And uh, so we, we're, now I'm on, on the phone. Just a brief four-hour hold for, for American Airlines for them to tell me that you actually need to call Capital One, who you booked it through, your credit card. That was just four more hours, and then I was, I was, then I was right there with a, with a person to talk to after eight hours. No big deal. So I did well with that, too, if you were wondering. I thought. I felt. I multitasked as best as I could. And, and, then, and then I get on the line, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of money to change that flight. Because when you try to go to Europe, when the borders are opening up after a year and a half, and you're trying to book a flight less than a week before, that didn't go great. And so I had to just like have that moment where I bit the bullet, and I, I looked at all that stimulus check money that I had planned to spend in Italy, and, and I said, you charge my card, please. That night, that night at about 8 o'clock, we get an we um, email from the passport that they had already sent it on Friday. And I started doing the calculations, and I'm like, that stupid passport's going to get here on Tuesday. I know it. I know it is. And it hasn't come yet. So mark my words, I'm, I'm telling you the story before the resolution of the story fully. <laughs> and I can't change my ticket back. It's all done and dusted, and we're now leaving Friday and blah, blah, blah. Um, after I take my kids all the way to New Mexico, fly back. I switched that flight a couple times, too. There's a whole other story there, and no one cares. I understand that. It's all about me right now. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, the point is, is that, is that I started getting into this thing going on a small little thing. I'm like, God, where where was your prophetic voice in all of that? <laughs> like, you couldn't just tell me to, like, book the ticket a day later? I mean, we had so much flexibility with booking this trip. Like, and why did in this, and, like, I'm almost like, God, if you make that thing come on Tuesday, I'm going to be mad. You better stop that stupid passport and make it come on Wednesday at least so it's worth changing that flight just a little bit. And mark my words, it's coming on Tuesday. I promise you all, it's going to be in my house on Tuesday. And the, the point is, is that, we wrestle with, with the Lord on all kinds of things. And I think it's good that we, we've been talking about building a prophetic culture and what it means to be a people that, that hear God's voice and do something with it. And I'm realizing that even in the small mundane things of life, they don't, they don't feel mundane in your week that you've done all this stuff to go on a very important trip. And in the scope of our lives, this will actually just build the story and we'll remember and my wife will feel loved at all the effort I did and all that stuff, right? Right? 
I don't care about all the effort I did. In fact, it's making me, like, lose my holiness and question God and his voice and my ability to hear him and discern anything. And that's just a little example. We're going to have another, another good testimony here in a minute. Um, but but, but here's, here's what I, I want us to do this morning. Are you frustrated with God about anything? Asking him about missed opportunities. I felt this was a missed opportunity. I had a deal. Like, I like deals. And now it's not a deal. It feels like a waste of certain things. And, and I, can, I can literally let my peace, my whole, the whole appreciation, the whole purpose of why we're doing this, I can kind of lose my, my entire ability to be present with the fact that I'm celebrating the love of my life, 15 years, and why we're doing this, and the fact that, you know what, that was a big bullet to bite. But we could technically bite the bullet and, and maybe stop whining and complaining a little bit internally. But missed opportunities. What kind of missed opportunities, maybe even more severe than that? Or maybe you were wrestling with. Or why something that the Lord, you felt like he promised you or put on your heart. A passion, a really selfless one. Why is it taking so long for it to be fulfilled? Where is he in the waiting? Where is he in the wilderness? And where is he in the pain of disappointment? If we can be present with the little things like this, I think that is sometimes the, the, the entry point to be present with the bigger things. We've been in a prophetic series, as I mentioned, and there were two things that we invited you all to be part of. So I know a few of you are new or missed a couple weeks. And we invited us to all be part of two things. Number one, build this prophetic culture with us. A prophetic culture is not just seeing into the future and, and prophesying over nations and peoples and whatever else. A prophetic people, Paul says, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Why? There's a difference between Old Testament and New Testament. We've talked about that. But the reality is he's practically giving the saints, the people that are part of the church, he's giving them tools to live in their daily lives in such a way that there's a culture of people that hear from God so that when people come in to their midst, they're convicted in the right ways and they realize that God's really among you. Why? Because you people know him. You know him. And secondly, we want to build this culture together and two, we want to commit to a season of fresh growth, whether this is something that's been natural or that you've spent, a lot of you have been in classes and schools that have talked about these things, and others that you haven't at all. But we're all in this as a family, building a culture that requires one another to take part. And so as you're, as you're growing and learning and taking risks, if you have a word for me, feel free like Noel. Give me a painting and write it out and, so I can put it on my wall. And, uh, but if, 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 it's, if you don't have a picture, if that's not your high watermark, and you just need to, like, you know what, I should have told you this and, uh, when I felt it, and now I'm just going to tell it, and it's just a very simple thing. It's an encouragement. And we talked about the prophetic is three things, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. If it, if it hits those checked boxes, then that's something that you need to share because we're the people that are supposed to release Encouragement, strength, and comfort everywhere we go, in all of our spaces of influence, both starting here in the house, but especially outside it, so that people realize, man, they are connected to something bigger than me. And so the invitation, build this prophetic culture with us, commit to a season of fresh growth in it, and then just start doing things. I've, I've started journaling what are in my, what's in my head when I wake up in the morning. Well, maybe get a journal. Maybe just start praying for one person. Maybe start recording your dreams. Maybe come to Thursday night if you can. Maybe get trained for ministry team and start practicing with somebody that can kind of take you through the ropes. Ask for prayer from somebody that you trust. 
or that you're willing to trust. (laughs) And saturate yourself in Scripture because ultimately we get to know God and His voice by baking ourselves in what He's already said. Now, realize He's never going to violate His word. And we are actually not doing the way of life that a follower of Jesus is supposed to when we do not hunger after the prophetic. And the prophetic is so much more than reading someone's mail or telling the future. It's tapping into the heart of God, the voice of God, and the mind of God. And releasing that strength, comfort, and encouragement. That can change someone's life. It can also get them through the day. It can remind them what they're invited into. And it can remind you that you've got something to give. That you didn't pay for, that you didn't earn. That you just received because it's a gift. So the last four weeks, uh, Sue talked about prophecy and honor last week. That God will send you what you need in a package that you often don't want. Can you honor what's right in front of you? Can you honor what is from him? And can you find the gold amidst the imperfections in people? Before that, Charlie was here talking about prophecy in the marketplace, the tensions of culture, of resources, and the need for community to expand capacity for the Lord's blessing. And then he did a a really, I think, strategic thing here that we're going to focus on probably for the next couple weeks, is when, when you receive something of the prophetic, you start with there is a revelation. Something's being revealed from God to you. So the first step is a revelation of some kind. Then you have to do interpretation and then application. And that can involve some other people in in helping you through that process. But he added a fourth thing, and that's timing. If you forget timing, you often forget everything the Lord is doing. And if you get offended in the midst of timing, sometimes you can miss the entire thing altogether. Learning God's language, uh, sorry, the prophetic imagination, then learning God's language. So I, I talked on the prophetic imagination the week before that, and that that starts ultimately with knowing God. We talked about the Hebrew word yada, and it's not merely hearing but knowing him. Do not protect your children from disappointment was one of the keys in the, in the testimony that I shared. And then learning God's language. There was an overview in that first week of what prophecy is, its purposes, and what we are and are not doing in this series. So what I, one thing I want to make sure we all are on the same page with is that prophecy in its most basic form is speaking in order to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. I'm going to say it over and over again because If we get anywhere off track, if we even start to do prophetic things that are still biblical, all the Old Testament stuff, all the other New Testament stuff, all the stuff that can be under the prophetic umbrella is all good and legitimate. But what we're going after is this gift that we're meant to hunger at the most basic level as saints, as sons and daughters. And when you rip that into your mind over and over again, that I can hear from God, these little impressions might be from him to strengthen, encourage, and edify. Those are the riverbanks that we can do this well because so much of the church has been so burnt by this gift. I've seen entire institutions invent theology against this gift because they love people and they've seen how it has burnt people so badly. I used to be offended at them. I now am endeared to them. I'm endeared to them because I know that their heart isn't they don't want to receive from God. Their heart is I've seen people use this so badly that we can't possibly expect to use it in the way we see in Scripture. So it is better that we just focus on love and we don't mess with this gift because this gift hurts. And the reality is this gift is a risk. And we have the responsibility to set the parameters, to not reject what the Lord has made available because of abuses of the past. 
And as we go after this, I believe that the fruit of us being willing to take risk, of being willing in our own lives to maybe sit with the Lord in the questions, in the pain, in the wrestling, it's going to be an unbelievable outpouring and impact in our own lives and in the lives around us. And then to remember, this isn't just about human encouragement. We can all just go around and I can give any of you just some regular human encouragement. You look great today. I really like how you talk to people and how you speak life over people. I really, I really like how you talk to your kids. That's just human encouragement. But what this is is divine encouragement. When you feel something of God's love, God's heart, God's breath, it might not actually change the words. I might say, I love the way you love your kids to somebody. I can say that in my human strength, in my human mind, and I can say that because I feel something of the, the hand of God on that, and I'm just being obedient. And when something has the breath of God, that's a divine encouragement. That's the prophetic voice. And the purpose, the end of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says it'll bring conviction to someone that comes and realizes these people know God. It reveals the secrets of the heart. And it causes surrender, worship, and it gives them a testimony to tell the world around them what God's doing. That's the effects of the prophetic. Hunger after this gift because this is what happens to people when they encounter it. That should give us a holy awe and wonder. That should give us a fresh reason to hunger and stir and to go after this. And I want to build on this concept of the prophetic imagination uh, that I talked about several weeks ago. And if you weren't here, essentially I said that I believe that the prophetic imagination leads to a lifestyle of prophetic vision. So today we're going to talk about vision, the ups and downs of living with prophetic vision, but building off of a prophetic imagination. And that prophetic imagination, it's a lot more than this, but I had said a few weeks ago that it's at least this. This is the starting place. It assumes that you know God. It pursues the wisdom of God, and it assumes you can actually understand God in some way, shape, or form, and always in part, not fully. You can speak his language or learn to. It assumes that you know that God talks, what he says and what he thinks. It assumes that the kinds of things from him, and that you can kind of discern the things that are from him and not from him, or at least that you have a framework to, to try to do so. We know that it says in Scripture that my sheep hear my voice, and the sheep do not listen to the stranger's voice. That's another concept of the entire thing that gives us the framework for the prophetic imagination, that you know how God feels, that you know how to discern or, or learn to discern where your thoughts are coming from. That you can disciple your thoughts. That not all your thoughts are just something that you have to live with forever. And that your imagination attracts what it ultimately values. It's an act of imagination. It's not just daydreaming about angels or spiritual things. It's on the offensive. It's hungering for the activity of heaven. It feasts on the stories of God on testimonies, for inspiration, for remembering, for being thankful. It looks for a target. And it has a security system, this imagination. The Word of God sets the boundaries. You learn what the Father's voice sounds like and what He's like. And if anything triggers something outside this testimony of the story of God and the ways of God, that's held true through ancient to modern times by the countless documentary of history of the Scriptures and all God's saints before us, if anything compromises this testimony, I know where to put it. I brush it aside. It's not invited in. We guard the gates to what we know 
God has said, how we establish a community of safety and trust. Because ultimately, back in the garden, what was violated there was that they questioned God's voice, and they did not trust what he had said. At its most basic level, the prophetic imagination starts with knowing God, not merely hearing, and reminding the story uh, that you're part of. Last little reminder. A couple weeks ago, I shared this, this story of, of uh, this mom in the middle of a worship service that was talking about her son who had another kid. It was a tw- her 12-year-old son had a 6-year-old that came up to him, and, and she had just been wrestling with the fact that her dad was very, very sick and basically on his deathbed, and he had sent her a letter and said, Honey, I do not want your kids to pray for my healing. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to be disappointed. And she's wrestling with this, and it's, it's so painful. And in the midst of that, this six-year-old comes up to her son, a 12-year-old. Says, anyone in your family need prayer for healing? They're at a prayer meeting at church. And he goes, nope. And he goes, not your granddad? And he goes, nope. He doesn't call him granddad. And then all of a sudden he goes, isn't he in a wheelchair? And that week he'd gone into a wheelchair. And all of a sudden the 12-year-old goes, yes, yes, of course. My granddad needs prayer. And this six-year-old prayed over him. And on the way home, this 12-year-old is telling his mom with tears going down his face. He's saying, Mom, it's as if this kid knew him, knew granddad. And he was praying. He was talking about how granddad was dancing around the room. And his granddad would, 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 would put on music, and they dance around the room. And he's praying over him like he knew him. And there was something about the people of God praying for those that desperately need a miracle and a breakthrough. And they're in the waiting, and they're, in the, they're not knowing what to do with it. And they're not sure how to na- na- navigate disappointment. And all of a sudden, this kid demonstrates that he knows God. And it was like he even knew his grandfather when he, of course, didn't. And what this mom took from that, I don't even think she knows the, the ultimate dynamic. Of the, the story wasn't about the granddad getting healed. I think he's still in process. But what she does know is that God convicted her heart. And don't keep disappointment from your children. And the reality is, is, of course, we keep certain disappointments from our kids all the time. But where's the line of showing a child the ways of God? The ways of God are about navigating a life of disappointment and questions. Can we remember the stories of our history? Abraham, Moses, Isaac. They all had disappointment. They all had questions. And not a single one of them got to see the fullness of the promises over their life fulfilled. It was always in part. And it convicts me. I'm in the midst of many promises that I've yet to see. Will I live with offense or with trust? Will we remember the stories of Noah, of Abraham, of Moses? Will we build a prophetic culture that requires us to, one, to see beyond the moment? beyond our current circumstances, without throwing out what God has said, will you trust his voice when the circumstances look dark? To see the beyond the moment. Number two, will you sit in the pain of disappointment? When the prophetic promise hasn't arrived, will you sit in that pain, in those questions? And number three, will you hold on to hope? How? That's easier said than done, but how do we hold on to hope? We hold on to hope by remembering 
in the communion that we take as a body, that's an act of remember. Remember what he's already done so that you can face what he hasn't yet done or where you cannot see what he's doing. Hold on to hope. For you, for others, do not get offended. Do not compare. Trust. Trust. And with that, I'd like to invite Anthony up. He's going to give a bit of his story. We were hanging out this week. I heard just a, a, a more rich, extended version uh, of his and really his family's story of coming here in the midst of right before COVID from another nation. And I want you to receive his story and how it speaks in to the ups and downs and to the pain and the disappointment. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so our family is Canadian. It's the 4th of July. I don't know if I should speak, be speaking today. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's us there. And um, so I thought I was going to live in Canada for my whole life. I never had a desire to live anywhere else. I was happy. We were living in Toronto. Everything was good. And a few years back, I was having a quiet time with the Lord, and I was reading a scripture that's one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Now, the truth is, I have a few scriptures that are like one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. I probably have like 75 scriptures that fall into like my top five in the whole Bible. But anyway, this one really is top five. So I'm reading it, and it came alive in a new way. And the scripture is in John 15. And Jesus says to his followers that had been with him through thick and thin, his followers who know they may die from being associated with him, his followers who gave up businesses, who might, might have lost their reputation or had family turn on them for following Jesus. And these followers that went through thick and thin and sacrificed so much, he said to them, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Watch this. You can ask for anything, and I'll do it. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything, anything, and I'll do it. And I'm sitting reading the word, and it jumps off the page. And I feel God say to me, Anthony, you can ask me for anything. I'll do it. And I was like... What do you mean anything? And I really felt this invitation, this open door, this grace. Ask me for anything, and I'll do it. I just realized I'm right up in the camera right now. So if anyone's live streaming, they're looking at my nostril right now like, bruh, back up from the camera. My bad. I got you. I got you. I'm going to back up for it. I'm sorry. This is a lot to take in right there. I did. I'm sorry. My bad. I'm going to come on this side, too. Hey, maybe, maybe it'll work. Who knows? Maybe it's effective. But I feel this grace, this invitation, this open door. Ask me, what do you want? I'll give you anything. Nothing's off the table. Anything. And so I feel like he's asking me to ask. He's like, what do you want? What do you want? And so I started this process, and it, it was over weeks of sitting in this chair in my house. It's a Poang chair from Ikea. You guys know the Poang? Oh, the Poang. It's got that bounce to it, right? Holy Spirit loves the Poang because you can bounce in the Poang. Oh, man. I love the Poang. We just bought another Poang because it's like Poang. We love the Poang. 
So I'm bouncing in my poem like week after week, and every time I just feel like the Holy Spirit is inviting me, and I worship for a little bit, and then it was like, all right, what do you want? And I would dream, and I would start, I start asking for things like, I think I want this, and I was asking for huge, huge things, and I would ask, and then I would kind of like walk with it for a couple days. And get this, some of the stuff I asked for, I'd walk with it for a couple days, like, God, I think I want that. And after a couple days, it's like the volume would get turned down. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, eh. And I realized, actually, I don't want that. It's just that, like, I want other people to see that I have that. And I can be like, yeah, check me out. You know what I mean? But that's not, like, really what I want. I'm just, like, trying to impress someone else. And he was like, all right, cool, cool. So let go of that one. What do you want? And so we just week after week, I'd be asking, and he'd turn things down and turn things up. And one week, I'm sitting in my chair, living happily in Canada. Everything's good. Kids are in school. Everything's cool. And I feel like this invitation, hey, when you're designing your life and imagining what do you want, where do you want to live? And I was like, well, and I was thinking, if I really could live anywhere, I'd probably want to live in Southern California because, like, I want my life to be, you know, my career, I want it to be in the entertainment industry. I'm a speaker right now. That's what I do for a living. That's what I did then, too. I speak about mental health, and I speak about diversity and inclusion. and So that's what I do, but my, my lifelong passion is entertainment. It's music, and it's movies. And so I've always been studying screenplays, and I was an actor for years. That's how I became a speaker. And so I always knew, like, entertainment's where I want to be. So if I could live anywhere, I'd want to be in L.A. And I love the weather and, and uh, you know, just, like, the mountain and the, oh, so, like, oh, I mean, yes, I, I'd want to live in L.A. And so I walked with that for a couple days. What do you want? Well, I, I want to live in L.A. And the same way he turned down some of the desires I had, he turned up some of the desires. And L.A. got turned up. And it got turned up. And, oh, I'm getting, I'm getting turned up. It's for the 4th of July. We're going to get turned up in the backyard. Maybe, maybe not. Never mind. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry. I, wow. Wrong crowd. I got to remember the room I'm in. My goodness. I don't mean we're going to get turned up. I just mean, you know. All right. So I feel, what's up, everybody? I'm back. Susie, you're leaving? I'm in the, that's my wife. I embarrassed her. She didn't get turned up in church. It happens to all of us. I'm not alone. Okay, good. So this desire to live in L.A. gets turned up. And it gets turned up. And I feel God on it like that's my will for you. And I learned, this is something my brother and I talk about a lot, that God hides his desires and his will in our heart's true desires. God has hidden his will for the earth in the desires of his people. And so some of you have a desire for something to do with this city, and that's his will. And it's, it's so important to sort through, like, what you want to get to your true desires. Because when you get to the truth, like, your real heart, that's why you got to get born again. And that's why, like, going through, you know what, I'm not going to get sidetracked. I'm just going to stay focused. L.A. got turned up in my heart. And, and I felt him so strong. That's where you need to live. That's what, I have something for you there. 
And all of a sudden, it became like, not just like, oh, that's what I want. It became an imperative. It became like, Anthony, I want you there. And I started having prophetic dreams about us living in L.A. And I started having prophetic dreams, and there was like warnings. If you don't go, something bad's going to happen to you here. And all of a sudden, it became like this like really heavy, like, we got to be there. And I started talking to Susie about it. And the first time I talked to Susie, she was like, L.A.? No, Canada. <laughs> and, and so we talked, and I said, okay, Sue, look, we're together, we're one. This is what I feel like God's doing. If it really is him, he's going to speak to you about it. This is what I feel like God's doing. The next week, she got a phone call from her brother, who's never done this before, never done it since. He called her and he said, Susie, I just had a dream that you were living in L.A. And she was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and he talked her through it and all these details. It was very significant. A week after that, she got a call from a friend. Susie, I don't know what's up, but I feel like you're going to be living in California. And this friend said, I, I see a picture of you having a house in Toronto and having a house in L.A. That's what she said, right? <laughs> see the timing on that? Come on. And it was beautiful. And it was just like, it just kept getting confirmed. And then her heart was in, yeah, L.A., L.A., L.A. So now we're convinced we're going to live in L.A. And we get dream after dream. You're going to be in L.A. You're going to be in L.A. We got prophetic confirmation. We know what's God. I walked with it. I know his voice by this time. This is not like the first time I've heard his voice. And, like, I've already stepped out on other things. I know what it's like to hear his voice and step out. So I know this is God. We're going to live in L.A. And so in 2015, we come on a trip to L.A. We bring the kids. We tell them we're going to be living here. We spend a week here. We come back. And I announce to my whole family, we're leaving. We're going to go live in L.A. I tell everyone I work with, I'm not going to be around. We're going to be in L.A. And I tell everyone we're going to be in L.A. And I knew his will, but I didn't know his timing. And in 2015, I told everyone, I'm gone. I'm not even going to be here. I told the kids' school, hey, we're not going to be here in September when we go back to school uh, because we're going to be in L.A. I told everyone. September rolled around, and we did not have the finances to move to L.A., and we didn't have the immigration, the paperwork to move to L.A. And the kids went back to school, and all their friends were like, you said you were going to be in L.A. And it was so embarrassing for our kids. It was so hard for them. And I feel so bad about that. And we'd see friends and run into people at the grocery store. Hey, didn't you guys say you're going to be in L.A.? You're still in Brampton. Well, you know Brampton. One person knows Brampton. <laughs> And it was really embarrassing. And I had people, like, tease me. One family went on a vacation in L.A., and I remember the dad saying, hey, we'll just go down there and scout it out for you, okay? <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. And for, like, 2015, 2016, 2017, we don't have the money to move to L.A. We don't have the immigration to move to L.A., like a visa or a green. We don't, so we just can't go. And it was so embarrassing because in 2017, we're still running into people. Hey, didn't you guys say you're supposed to be in L.A.? It was so embarrassing. And um, one day, I, I, uh, there's, a, there's a, like a rock star speaker that I follow 
uh, on social media. And this guy's like a millionaire. He's way like ahead of me in his career. And he's just like this this really big deal. And he's coming to Toronto to speak. And so I go to see him because this guy is just, he's amazing. And so I go to see him. When I go, I see another guy that I kind of know. And I say what's up to him at the end. And he says, hey, I know the rock star. If you want, you can come with me backstage and meet the rock star. And I was like, oh, man, this is good because the rock star speaker has all these other speakers under him. He's got like a roster of speakers that he sends out. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, if I meet the rock star and I tell him what I do, because I was killing it like in my niche, and I knew if I could tell him what I do, I think he would sign me, and then I would be like a junior rock star. And so I say to this guy, if you want to come backstage, I said, yeah, I'd love to come backstage. So he invites me backstage, and I go backstage, and I meet the rock star speaker, and he's got all these rock star junior speakers with him, and they all have like a fitted leather jacket that gets cut off right here. It's just like, boom, fitted. It's leather. It's just like buttons and zippers like Michael Jackson. It's bad. I am now with the cool kids backstage, and I'm like, yo, I need a leather jacket. And I'm talking to this rock star speaker, and we're like joking, and we're hanging out, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. If this goes well, I might get signed. I might become a rock star by the end of the night. And then the rock star speaker says, hey, by the way, he's from California. He says, hey, why don't you all come back to my hotel, and we'll order some vegan food. That's how I knew he was from California. I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm not a vegan, but I'll be for a night. You know what I'm saying? If I can hang out with the rock stars. And so I'm like, okay, cool. And we start walking out. You have to understand, I'm with these rock we, I don't even, they don't even follow me like on social media. I don't, I don't know these people. I, I, but I'm with the rock stars, and we're walking out. And as we're walking out to go to our cars, to go to this hotel, the rock stars like, yeah, just follow me, and we'll go to my hotel. So we're walking. As we're walking out, this sweet old lady calls out. I've never seen her before. She says, Anthony, is that you? And as I'm walking with the entourage, with all the cool rock stars, I'm like, yeah, that's me, baby. That's me. She's I didn't actually say baby. I would only say that to Susie. But she says, Anthony, Anthony, come. I have to tell you, you spoke at my grandson's school. And, and when you spoke at the school, he was so touched. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I, I went over to the lady, and she spoke to me for a few moments. She said, I just want to say thank you. You're such a great speaker. You made a difference at the school. Bless you. And I was like, man, thank you. And I turned, and the rock stars were gone. And I was like, uh-oh. And I ran around the lobby, and there's no sign of them. And I ran down a hallway, no sign of them. I ran outside to the parking lot. I'm looking everywhere. There's no sign of them. Cars are leaving. I'm looking everywhere. There's no sign of them. They're gone. They're completely gone. And I don't know what hotel the rock star speaker is staying at. So I'm standing in the, in the parking lot, and I'm looking around, and I'm spinning around, and they're gone. And it was weird. And I had this moment. There's certain times where a door closes, and it feels weird. It's like a door that closes, and it's like it slams in a way that's like, wait, that was weird. So I'm looking around, and I've learned when a door slams closed, just pay attention to Holy Spirit, that might be him. So I'm like, okay, 
This, this, is, this is nuts. There's got to be a way. And I'm on social media. I, none of them follow me. So I, 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 can't, I can't reach out to anybody. I don't know. I, like the, I, I'm going to be weird if I'm like DMing people that I don't know. Like, what hotel are you at? It's weird, right? So I'm like, what am, I, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? So I'm spinning around. And I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I get in my car. And I think I can just drive around the city and just drive around to hotels. And I realize, like, there's nothing I can do. And I'm sitting in my car, and the rock star is gone, and my opportunity is gone. And I sit in my car, sitting in the parking lot, and I look up to heaven. And I'm like, God, what was that? Like, why? This was my shot. This guy's a millionaire, and he makes people, like, he can blow me up. Why would you take this opportunity? Why? Why? And I felt something I didn't want to feel. I felt peace. I felt like Holy Spirit's like, I got you. Just go home. Just go home. But I want to be a rock star. I want the leather jacket. And I just feel this overwhelming peace like, this is me. Go home. And I'll be honest with you, in that moment sitting in the parking lot, I felt so disappointed and I felt like such a loser. And I went home alone when they were all eating vegan food with leather jackets. And I'm like, ah. And I went home and I took the L and, and that was it. And a month later, I still thought back, wow. What was that? And six months later, I still thought back, wow, what if he had signed me to his roster? Where would I be? Would I be speaking in Hawaii right now? Would I be in Europe somewhere? These dudes with the leather jackets, where would I be in the world with them? But instead, six months later, I'm just still here doing nothing. But a year after that, I got a phone call from one of the biggest speakers bureaus in North America. And they said, Anthony, we've seen you online, and we've seen what you've been doing. We want to sign you to our speakers bureau. And we have an in-house lawyer that can get you your paperwork so that you can live and work in the States. And not only can we get you your paperwork, but the executive visa that we'll give you enables your wife to work in the States as well. And her visa means she can work in any field. Your visa means you can only work for us. So she's got a better deal than you. But that's just how it is sometimes. And they said, now, Anthony, we want to sign you. And here's the fee that we're going to be sending you out at. And when I saw the fee, I was like, is that a typo? Because the fee was just, I, I didn't even think in those, ter- in those numbers. As a speaker, I used to go to schools. I would, you know, they'd pay for my lunch, and I'd go home, and it was like, yeah. And they're like, no, we'll have you doing, like, corporate stuff, and we'll pay for your flight. Like, the flight in the hotel was more than the fee that I, w- I was getting. So it was like, you're going to pay me this much? And, and they said, now, we'll get you the immigration. This is the fee. But there's a condition. We can only sign you if you're not signed to any other speaker's bureau. Have you signed a contract with any other speaker's bureau? 
And I thought back to the leather jackets and the vegan food and the disappointment in the parking lot. And I said, no, I'm not signed to anyone. They said, well, welcome on board. We'll get you your immigration in four months. And six months after that, we were living in L.A. But I don't want you to miss this. We're here now, and we're loving it. And we're here for a reason, because God's doing something here in L.A. He's doing something here in Pasadena. He's doing something here, and God called us here for a reason. And we are so happy. But can I tell you something? Sitting in that parking lot that day with the disappointment, I didn't know why the door closed. I didn't know why it didn't work. I didn't know why this amazing opportunity was being taken away from me. And in that moment, just like Belle sang the song today, even when I don't see it, that's when you're supposed to speak. We'll try it again. You remember the song? Even when I don't see it, what does the song say? You're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're wor- you never stop. You never stop. Even in our disappointment, he's, even when we can't see it, he's, he never stops. He never stops. When I'm sitting in the parking lot and I don't understand why this opportunity is being taken away, I didn't know that a year from now I'd get a phone call that would change my life, that would change my wife's life, that would change everything. And the only reason he said no to this opportunity is because he had something better. And sometimes you just got to trust him when you don't know why. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. If I could have the worship team come up, all I want you to do is to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you do with that today? What do you do with that today? Every single one of you have stories. You have a story of why you're here. You have stories of disappointment. You have stories of questions. You may not be a rock star professional speaker. (laughs) You've got a story. Let that story remind you of yours, let it convict you that God is working regardless of what you see in front of you. Why don't you stand? I'm going to have these guys play as we often do, and we're going to give you a chance to respond whether in your seats or coming forward. I want to just remind us of these of these things that just got brought before us. Remember the stories of our history as the people of God. Remember Noah, remember Abraham, remember Noah, uh, Moses, but also remember, remember your own story. Remember the stories of the people to the left and to the right of you. Not to compare, not to look over your shoulder, but to strengthen each other. I feel stronger right now because of that story. I feel more full of hope right now in my questions because of that testimony. 
I feel more in love with God because of the stories about him that honor him, that convict us about how often we forget what he's like. We forget what he's doing. We forget what he's done. We forget who we are. We forget what we've signed up for. And we're distracted about where else can we sign up in the ways of the world? Where else can I sign? And he's like, if you will just tap into my peace in the midst of the waiting, if you'll tap into my peace when you don't understand, if you'll hang on to my words that cause you embarrassment. Will you let me work it? Will you let me work it? If there's something in that for you, just slip out a hand today. Slip up a hand if there's something in that for you today. Holy Spirit, come. Do surgery on us today. Thank you that the testimony of Jesus that says through John in the book of Revelation, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning testimonies release the prophetic. It releases an imagination and a vision to see what is not physically in front of us. It teaches us how to see, and it releases the stories of your activity towards the future promises. And in the book of Hebrews, it says time and again, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, those are the fathers and mothers of the faith. We, you think that they received the promises, and it says not a single one of them received the fullness of the promise. Every single one received it in part. Are you holding God hostage to your promises? Are you holding him hostage? If the greatest promise in your life is just a job or just a spouse or just a location, and the greatest promise in your life is not tapped into the purposes of eternity. You are not living to the standards of the fullness of your sonship and daughtership. He is calling you forth to a way of life, to an eternal destination, an eternal kingdom. And the things that we wrestle with, that we step into, the stories and testimonies we share remind us of eternity and what we're willing to die for at any given moment because they cannot take from me what Jesus already paid for. And that's why every single one of your stories is so powerful, and it's bigger than your year. It's bigger than next year. It's bigger than five years from 2015 to 2020. It is eternal in nature. 